We expect a lot from our homes. They're more than a place to hang your hat. They're where you try your hand at gardening and new recipes, where you rest and recharge, where you work and play. And that's why at HomeAdvisor, we're committed to keeping your home up and running. Whether you need to repair an overloaded appliance or you're looking to create a backyard retreat worthy of a summer staycation, use the HomeAdvisor app day or night and we'll find a local pro to get the job done right. Whatever you need, we'll do everything to fix your, well, everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app to get started. Root of Evil is a production of C13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, in partnership with TNT. This story contains strong language and graphic and potentially disturbing content. Discretion is advised. the river, golden is the sand. It flows along forever with trees on either hand. That's George Hodel's actual voice. And he's reading a poem to some of his grandchildren from his Filipino family. Remember, in 1950, in the middle of the bugging and stakeout of the Franklin House, George skipped town. Green leaves a-floating, castles of the foam, boats of mine a-boating, where will all come home? He remarried, and then he spent the next 40 years or so living in Asia, where he began another new family. In all, George ended up having 11 children with five different women. On goes the river and out past the mill, away down the valley, away down the hill, away down the river, a hundred miles or more. Other little children shall bring my boats ashore. This is in the heart of San Francisco, and I'm sure these are going for millions. 10,000, I mean, to buy, oh, yeah. To buy, yeah, to yeah, buy. but to rent. But to rent, I'm sh- sure the spaces are going for 10 grand. Easy, easy, yeah. easy. And yeah. George lived, lived at there. the very top. Yeah, the penthouse. It's a little daunting being here, I think. It's very, yeah, it's strange, but I live here and I walk this street all the time, so I I pass this building, but I don't even consciously think about it. But now that I'm standing in front of it, it's, uh, it's weird that that's, this is part of our family history, like yucky family history, right? I've always said that I'm ashamed that George Hodel's blood runs through my veins. Like, I've always said that. Always. Rasha and I are standing in front of one of the tallest residential buildings in San Francisco, 333 Bush Street. It's got a 360-degree view of the city and the bay. George Hodel lived the last nine years of his life here, in the penthouse until he was 91 years old when he intentionally overdosed himself on sleeping pills. George never 
like he never served a day in jail. He never got what he deserved. No, of course not. But I almost feel like in Deathy, he's getting that now. It doesn't matter how much money he had. He was so he was evil. He was evil. He was pure evil. This is Root of Evil. I'm Yvette. And one thing my sister Rasha and I have learned in doing this podcast is that with George Hodel, nothing is ever simple. There's always some mysterious clue that makes you wonder. Coincidence? Or connection? His apartment here has an unobstructed view of a cemetery. But it's not just any cemetery. It's the one where Elizabeth Short is buried. Every night they come to dream of her. Every night they come to dream of her. Crank up that radio. Let me tell y'all a story. My thing is, there was never anybody held to account. And that's the beef I have with this whole story is that you know, you have the victims cowering and crying and being upset and, and being broken. And the people that were the perpetrators walk free. That's our uncle, Peace Hodel, Tamar's oldest son. In the late 80s, Peace was invited to dinner in Los Angeles by his uncle Steve and Kelly Hodel. And they told him there would be a special guest. I must have been 18, 19 years old. And uh, it was kind of like, okay, you're going to meet your grandfather. I was angry about what my mother had gone through. And if there was any at all, that was the only time to talk to him about it. You know, hey, look, look what you've done to my mother. I'm kind of... At one point, talking to him, wanting to say something about it, and having everybody just kind of gloss over and it just like, uh, you know, as if it's a normal dinner kind of a thing. And here's the guy that basically ruined my life. Uh, it was kind of uh, really awkward. It's kind of one of these things where you're kind of complicit to keeping things quiet, even in a situation where you could say something. And, you know, I'm torn up about it, not being able to do something about it. But it didn't make any difference if I confronted him or not. She'd already been dismissed as somebody who is a liar and crazy. It's easy to say I should do something or this is the effect that it has and maybe I should have done something about it. We're all victims to that. But definitely uh, I was really conflicted and mad, but I couldn't really say it. I just didn't, I didn't have the words really to describe it, you know. When you're a Hodel, conflicted feelings are the norm, especially when you're talking about Tamar. Here's Love Hodel 
the youngest of Tamar's five children. I don't want mom to be, I wouldn't want her, it's hard to say because she did some fucked up things, but I don't want her to be slandered. Because you got to understand she was victimized at a young age really badly. So I just want people to understand that. And, you know, just don't go off in a one direction and think, oh, what a, you know, what a lame lady. Because it was a psychological issue. So be more open-minded and understand situations and just don't pigeonhole your mind into one thing about Tamar Hodel because she wasn't born like that. Here's Tamar's middle son, Joy Hodel. The reason that I don't have any compassion for her is because if I had been her and experienced and gone through the things that she had done, I would never have turned around and done to my kids. The things that she did to my sister, Fauna too, made me hate Tamar. You know, I, I, can't, I can't forgive. What Tamar did was she found a way to separate all of us. She would talk shit about each one of us to the other person and then make it like that person was talking shit about me. There ended up being a level of distrust among us. So we didn't communicate and, you know, talk about things that had gone on to us individually. I said to him that I felt, he said that you were trying, you were trying to something. It was two-faced. But you were two-faced. That you would say one thing to him and one thing to me. And I said, listen. But Joy has told me that himself about how you've talked about me, about how I'm just a user and how I'm two-faced and all kind of mean things, you know. So it just makes me wonder what's going on here. This is a phone call between our mother, Fauna, and her mother, Tamar. Mom was never conflicted about confronting Tamar. Anything, anything that you're hearing, if you're not hearing it from me directly, you're not hearing it how I'm saying it. So let's just slow down a little bit, okay? I don't but know. Anyway, how- the point of the matter is, and I'm not even upset about this. The only thing that I don't like is all the confusion that's always going on in the apartment with the boys. All the confusion that's always stemming from anything that happens. I don't like it. All the counselors interacting. It's just all a bunch of mess all but the time. But it's getting better all the time. And and the counselor that Peace is going to now, it's working. I'm glad for the counselors. I'm just saying that I don't like all the confusion that even creates a counselor. Well, but Fauna, I'm as, as good and strong as I am, whatever that is. And there's never a moment I'm not striving to be better. That's wonderful. That's great. I just don't like all this. It's like I can go over there for an hour or two, and in the midst of me being there, there's all type of upsets going on. The boys are getting into fights with you, or you're getting into fights with the boys. Everything is an issue, you know. It's just, it's uncomfortable. I just, I feel like, I almost feel like, you know, you enjoy a lot of, uh, confusion. That's what that's what I'm upset no, over right I now. I don't, and I don't think I do. You know, I mean, I can see that you would think that, but I don't. But it's like, 
you know, you have put out so much to other people how terrible the boys are that the other people buy those stories, too, because you've had long conversations with that lady about how joy is. It's like, you know, that's why when I hear all these stories about what people are saying that you say about me, I can believe them because I know all the things you say about well, the I'm, children you've raised yeah. your whole life that you've had from the time they came out of you. That's what makes me hurt. And bottom line, I just have a gut-level feeling that, as I said, the way you've talked about peace and the way you've talked about joy is kind of the same way you're doing oh, but with me to other people. No, you know? no. You know why I talk about peace and I talk about joy that way? I am so embarrassed with myself that I didn't have sense to do it right, to have it in control so that I had a husband and I had money and that I had legitimate children. It embarrasses me that they're all from different fathers. You know, we can look at it very romantic and everything, but it embarrasses me. I mean, there's a beautiful part of it, too, because they're beautiful children and they all have differences, you know, and everything. You can look at it either way. Yeah, but what does that have to do with how you talk but about Because I have been so criticized for my children about having the boys and I feel and I didn't use to you talk were, that way you were criticized Tamar as a person before you had any children right yes but but I was I have been but I really got myself out there people really don't like you when you have children and you're on welfare and they're legitimate and you get a lot of flack from just everyday life from people around like people who get upset with you about how the boys are wherever they are and stuff like that and instead of standing up for my children i did here's what i thought i was doing i thought that i was looking like a normal mother because normal mothers you know get on their kids good mothers good hard class working mothers get on their kids when they do wrong and tell them not to act like that in the world. And that's, I was copying all that I knew. Yeah, but mo no, most mothers will stick up for their kids and then call them all kind of assholes when no one's around. Well, I wanted to, see, what I wanted, now, right or wrong, what I wanted the people out there to know is that I was a good mother, see, and that I really cared, and that what they were saying to me was hitting home and that I would be responsible. That I wasn't a hippie, I wasn't somebody who just didn't care, and that's what I was trying to accomplish. I was trying to ball them out. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was good. I'm not saying I didn't carry it over and let it harm our whole family, because I did. But that's where I was coming from. So help me. was trying to make appeasement with them. And I shouldn't. I should have been strong enough in myself that I didn't have to appease them at all. But I wasn't. Every step of the way, I've had to look at how inadequate I am. And how inadequately I prepared raising a family. You know, I didn't do anything right. except give natural birth. It's about the only thing I can say and really love them when they were little, but I didn't make protect them because I didn't have any sense. I didn't know how to protect us. I didn't know how to build us. I didn't know how to lead us, nothing. 
guess I just don't feel any real love coming from you for peace or lo- or joy. It just kind of seems like... Well, I do. You know, I just, I guess I don't see that. And it makes me feel sad that they don't have a, a real motherly love for you and you don't seem to have a real... We do love each other. You know, we really do love each other. Tamar never loved me. You know, I don't think she was capable of love. I think she pretended to at times. I don't remember getting a lot of hugs and kisses and loving from my mother. I, I, she was just full of deceit. She was manipulative and, you know, I, she just wasn't a good person. I was something that she could use. That's the way she viewed me. She was never a mother. We expect a lot from our homes. They're more than a place to hang your hat. Your home is where you try your hand at gardening and new recipes, rest and recharge, work and play. And that's why at Home Advisor, we're committed to keeping your home up and running no matter what. From the projects that creep up on you, like appliance repairs, gutter cleanings, and faucet fixes, to the ones you look forward to, like creating your very own backyard retreat worthy of a summer staycation. We'll find local pros to help you get the job done right. Use the Home Advisor app, day or night, to get matched with the best pros for your projects. You can book and pay for more than 100 projects with just a few taps. Plus, see the tasks trending in your neighborhood. Whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, Home Advisor is standing by, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the Home Advisor app today to get started. For a few years, when we were young, mom found a house in Hawaii for all of us to live in together. Fauna too wasn't there, but it was me, Yvette, mom, Tamar, and the boys. Tamar didn't have any money, so mom, she was in charge of getting this house and paying the rent and bringing the family together. And I really believe mom did it for the boys. Not for Tamar, but for those boys. Because she wanted them to feel that love. Mom exuded love, and when she hugged you and she spoke to you, she was listening. She was loving you. They never in their lifetime experienced that. Here's peace again. Fauna, one was definitely the hopeful, positive, always put a positive spin, even when it wasn't positive in terms of actuality. She always saw the brighter side of things, and she always put her best foot forward in terms of her attitude towards things, which was very uplifting. Fauna didn't let her past affect her future in the sense that she was a loving, sweet person and she saw past all that stuff even the past things that she dealt with where tamar held on to the past she didn't know how to process what she'd gone through never gave herself a break about it to try to figure it out to where you know it was just from one chaotic moment to the next where um, fauna was like 
to me, she was kind of the glue of the family. She was kind of like the mom that I didn't have. As were Tamar, she was just Tamar. There was no way around that. Despite all of the ways that Tamar had tormented her children, they all managed to break free from her when they became adults. And then she got sick. And that's when a lifetime of confusion bubbled up to the surface. Here's Fauna number two. When she was in dire straits and stuck in her apartment and really sick, I made a special diet for her. I made sure she took the right meds. She was taking expired medication. It was horrible, the state she was in. And nobody wanted to go see her. The boys didn't want to go see her. I mean, I didn't want to go see her. And Joyce said, just let her be put out on the street (laughs) because, he mean, he just... You know, she's not worth it. So, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The humanity wouldn't let me do it. Just from human to human, she needed to be taken care of. So um, I did. And I got her into uh, assisted living. And then I got out. On October 4th, 2015... Tamar Hodel passed away at the age of 80. When she passed, I couldn't cry. I'd been hurt too badly. I don't hate my mother. I want you to know I don't hate my mother. Okay? I don't hate her. I just... There's no love there because... She didn't create any. I thought I loved my mother. I mean, I love my mother. But after I found out so much, by the time she died, I was just devastated. If my mom was here today, I would say, you lied to me all my life. I never really got closure with Tamar. I never got accountability or, you know, an apology at her, you know, a few months before she'd passed on was as close as I get to her apologizing, which was mainly for her. She just said I was a horrible mother. And I said, well, you know, that's fine. I I don't need an apology. I appreciate that you're saying it because I really honestly, I'm well past needing someone to apologize because what I was looking for is a real acknowledgement, not just, I'm sorry. You know, closure. Here's love. If I could say something to my mom right now, I would let my mom know that I love her. That's all I can say. And I'd probably ask her what else happened. Here's Joy again. I was glad that she passed. She was in pain, you know, and it just meant that I didn't have to deal with any of her shit anymore. I had, you know, I'd made all the arrangements for her to be cremated and, you know, um, 
<laughs> they, they asked me what I wanted to put it. I said, you know, they were trying to upsell me with the urn and all this stuff sitting in a box. And um, then I, I told Fauna that she had to go pick it up because I wasn't going to. Aloha, everybody. Hi, it's Rasha, and this is my mom, Fauna Hodel. And uh, so she just picked me up at the airport, and I'm in town in Honolulu, Hawaii, my hometown. This is from a video I recorded right after Tamar died. She was cremated, and I'm with my mom, and she's holding the box with Tamar's ashes. So she's emotional about it. I think it's funny. A little bit. It's a little funny. Well, that you had to pick me up with the ashes in the car. It, well, I, I knew I was picking her anyway. Well, she didn't think she was bringing her back. She thought that my uncle was going to take her, but that didn't happen. So she's here with us too. And we're here. And she was laughing about it a second ago. She's not going to laugh on I camera. Know. <laughs> no, just, this is just all so ironic that. We have Tamar, and you know what? It's just really about the holiness of life, and just um, we're not here for forever. And this is certainly a reminder. All I want to say is live fully now, everyone, because we're not getting off this planet alive. Six months later, our mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Hi, first of all, I just want to thank everybody for the tremendous support that I've been receiving in reference to the C word that entered my life. And, you know, I'm not ashamed of cancer, and but I just feel that if I don't name it, it'll go away fast. I am blessed beyond measure. My girls arranged everything. I'm here in a beautiful apartment, just walking distance to my daughter Rasha. My daughter Yvette has been ho holding my hand, both of them. Vanna, my daughter-in-law, Gino, my son-in-law, my little granddaughter, Leilani Rose. Oh my God, I have the best therapy in the world and all the love and support from each one of you. I started chemo yesterday. It actually went really well. I'm so surprised. I it was only about a two-hour chemo treatment, and but actually by the evening it hit me, and I was feeling nauseous. And called the doctor about 9:30, and he told me what to do. And a little queasy today, a little bit, but I know that this is going to work perfectly. I know that I'm blessed, I'm happy, I'll move through this. And one in every eight women are getting breast cancer. So whatever this is all about, we have to be more aware. And even though I had had a mammogram only a year and a half ago, there was absolutely nothing there that showed up in that breast that's affected, which is crazy. And how it could grow six tumors, one of which is like a 3.3, uh, I guess that's inches in diameter, and the rest are tiny. And it has affected a couple of the lymph nodes, tiny, but I know, I know that I know I'm getting through this. I love you, thank you, and thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
And here's mom just a few weeks later. Whoever dreamt, I mean, in a trillion years, I never thought anything like this would happen to me. I'm like turning 65 August 1st. I was like Mm -hmm. so proud that I might need to lose weight, but Mm -hmm. I felt as healthy as a horse. That's what's so bizarre. Here, mom's sitting in her kitchen with a huge smile on her face. The buzzing sound you hear in the background is from the clippers shaving her head. In a trillion years, I would have never thought I had cancer. I hadn't been sick. I mean, maybe I'd been a little tired, but it's like, what? Excuse me? Like, I have what? (laughs) Our mother was a remarkable human being. I mean, the way that she gracefully went through cancer is indescribable. I mean, she had a double mastectomy. She had three brain surgeries. She went through chemo. And every single time, and we thought we were going to lose her. Every surgery, Rasha and I were just like, oh, God, oh, God. And as soon as we walked into the room, she was like, hi. Hi. <laughs> have some coffee (laughs) and we just lost it because she just popped back our mother was strong strong but then she got really weak and she went into hospice I don't even know where to start (laughs) I can't share it publicly because mom doesn't want me to yet, but today is September 28th, 2017. And mom, Fana Hodel, is in hospice care and is dying. And she can't or won't admit that she is dying saying that she's going to live until she's 90 and uh, hospice and the doctors will say differently. We think we probably only have a matter of weeks, if not days, with her. And um, it's really hard. But we have to move on and keep going forward and be a good representation of her and be a light in the world. (laughs) Two days later, mom died. As destroyed as Rasha and I and our family were, it only seemed right to focus on who my mom was and what she represented. So we had a celebration of her life in Hawaii. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this gathering. We're grateful for the love that everyone shared, the stories. We're grateful for the light that shines in this world. That is Fauna. 
right, so our light extinguishes. Fana Hodel was on a journey her whole life, but more than anything else, it was a journey to find out who she was. And that lasted until the day she died. She found her biological mother when she was 18 years old. But she died without ever finding out who her father was. I've asked mom, I'm like, mom, why were you obsessed with finding your birth mother? Why were you not ever obsessed with finding your birth father? And, you know, she's like, I don't know. I just, you know, I just... It was more important about the mother. And I mean, she always kind of like politely skirted it aside. I think she kind of always thought in the back of her head she didn't want to find out. Two days before she died, mom did say that she believed George was her father. She didn't have any proof. She didn't say anything. I mean, and she had no filter that last few days. That was the first time I've ever heard those words come out of her mouth. You might remember from episode one that the first night that mom met Tamar in Hawaii, they stayed up all night and discussed their lives. And that's when Tamar told her that George was investigated in the Black Dahlia murder. Imagine sitting on that beach in Lanikai and she proceeds to tell me that her father was investigated in that murder. But she also told mom about the incest trial. And part of the reason that mom felt the need to get out of there as soon as possible was that she was afraid of hearing from Tamar that George was her father. All I wanted to do was get on a plane and go back home because I... I thought she was going to tell me that man was my father because she'd already said there had been an incest trial and it was just heavy-duty stuff. Remember, George had already gotten Tamar pregnant once, shortly before the incest trial, and that pregnancy was illegally aborted. And then Tamar got pregnant again with mom only one year later. Tamar, my whole life, because I'd get in her face and I'd ask her, and she would never deny it. And I'm like, and I want to know, is George mom's dad? And she'd never say yes, she'd never say no. But she never directly answered that question for me. And I asked her multiple times. Tamar adamantly denied that George Hodel was mom's father. Not to me. Well, to me, she did, and she repeated the story over and over again that it was some Italian playboy in San Francisco who got her drunk and took advantage of her. And his name was Carlos or something like that. George Hodel may or may not be my mom's father, 
But at the end of the day, I have my family. And I love my family. And I'm so, so blessed that my mom gave me my sister, Rasha. I'm pretty cute. <laughs> and that's never going to change. That love is never going to change. Yeah, despite if we get any definitive answers. And I know we're not going to have everything answered no matter what. You know, three of the key players are gone. And that's okay. You know, we have to move on from here. But my morbid curiosity, you know, I, I want to know more. But I don't want to, as much as I love and loved our mom, I don't want to let it define me and keep going and searching for the answers. Like, my daughter, she was conceived. We had an anonymous donor. But that anonymous donor's DNA in, in my heart means nothing to Leilani. Her parents are me and Vanna. Like, I keep thinking of it in that sense. Like, it, that doesn't matter. Love is what matters. You know, and we love her unconditionally. You know, she can never contact the donor. He can never contact her. But that, that doesn't matter. And I have to kind of think of it like that. Like, it doesn't matter if George was mom's dad or not. Doesn't, doesn't matter. We have each other. Right. And we had our mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she instilled all the love that we could possibly need in the both of us to carry on with our lives and for you to, you know, share that with Leilani mm -hmm. and pass it forward. And then she can pass it forward. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And break the cycle. Yeah. Break the cycle. We hoped that through this process, we'd be able to answer some lifelong questions about our family. Some we have, and some we haven't. But the questions that still linger are what does it mean to be a Hodel? And what price should we continue to pay for the legacy we've been left? We may be asking those questions for the rest of our lives. But finally, for the first time ever, all of us have agreed to discuss it together. Crank up that radio. Let me tell y'all a story. On the final episode of Root of Evil, I didn't want to hurt you even more than you're already hurting. This has wrecked me. We're all together in one room to confront the past and each other. I was mad at my brother Peace when he moved away. You had to get out? I, I had to. It really destroyed me when he left. Maybe we'll find some of the closure we've all been looking for. I want to bond this family. I want to be part of this family. Well, you, you are. are. You are. I have not felt that I was because Tamar kept us apart so long. Well, she did. Yeah, yeah, but she's long since gone. We're in the room together here. Yes. So let's do it. Thanks for listening to Episode 7 of Root of Evil, the true story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia. Root of Evil is an eight-episode series produced by C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13 in partnership with TNT. Every night.